So last week, uh, I started a mini-series called Preventing Prayer. And if you think that's an odd name for a series, um, let me shed some light on what that means. If we are confused or if we have misconceptions about certain attributes, about the character of God, then it's easy to be pointed in the wrong direction. So what do I mean? Let's say we we are confused and we have misconceptions about the goodness of God, Him being a good Father. And we think He's an angry God. And we think He's an unattentive Father. Then that gives us misconceptions. That points us in the wrong direction of what we should be believing about a good God who is there and is present and is available to us and is loving and is good and only good. So I believe there are misconceptions about two attributes of God that actually prevent us from praying more. So last week, I talked about that first attribute, the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means supreme reign, and this attribute appropriately applies to God. He is our supreme reigner. He is our supreme ruler. He does have supreme reign. Where we get in trouble is when we have a kesarasara mentality. Why bother praying? Because what will be will be, and God's going to do what God's going to do anyway, because He's sovereign, so there's no sense in praying about it. That's wrong. That's wrong thinking, church. That's flawed thinking. Because God is sovereign, we should do what? Pray more. Pray more. He's the only one that can answer our prayers. He's the only one that hears us and can affect our lives and affect our situation. Because He is sovereign, we should pray to the supreme ruler of the universe and know that He's the one who answers our prayer. So the second attribute of God that I think misconceptions may allow us to pray less and it prevents prayer is the immutability of God. The immutability of God. So I was talking to a friend of mine this week. He's here in this room. He shall remain nameless. But he he said immutability. He's like, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that God cannot be muted? And I'm like, that's actually really good. That's a really good answer. It's wrong, but it's a really good answer. God cannot be muted. God cannot be silenced. Gosh, I wish that was true. I wish that was true. But that's not the case. God's muted plenty of time. Uh, what's that, Lord? Uh, Lord, you want more of my time? Lord, you want more of my hearts? Lord, you're asking for more of my service to advance your kingdom? Man, where's that remote? Mute. Oof, that's good. I was about to, that noise was getting in the way of my show. We do mute God. When he says things we don't like, we mute him all the time. We, we silence God all the time. No, nope, that's not what I want to hear. That didn't make me giggle. Immutability, immutability comes from the same word as mutation. Mutation means to change. So mutability means something that can change. You add an M in front of it, and immutability becomes what? It cannot change. So I'm here to talk today about the immutability of God. Our God that does not change. 
But I want to clear up the misconceptions about that. Malachi 3.6 says this, For I, the Lord, do not what? Change. It should be right up there, right? Yeah. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob are not consumed. James 1.17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The New Living Translation says, He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So here's the problem. People misunderstand this, and they say, God never changes. So why pray? God never changes. Why bother praying then? Come again? Well, why bother praying? Because it's not going to change anything. Because God never changes. If his mind is set on something, he's going to do it, right? God never changes. He's immutable. That is not what this means. Church, this is not what this means. Immutability means this. God never changes his character. He changes his mind all the time. All the time. If we think that this means that God doesn't change his mind, we're missing, we're missing the point. It means that God never changes his character. We can take it to the bank. We can take his kindness to the bank. We can love to the bank. We can take his faithfulness. We can take it to the bank. He never changes. When God's people pray, something happens sometimes. Sometimes it changes God's mind. Let's look at our first example. In the end of the book of Exodus, we see Moses and God on Mount Sinai. They're spending time together. God is talking to Moses. God has given Moses instruction for his people. And apparently, God and Moses were taking too long. They were just a little too long for the children of Israel's liking. They grew bored. They grew impatient. So they completely corrupt themselves. And they melt down all the gold in the camp. And they say they want a God. They want an idol. They want something to worship. And unfortunately, we see a passive leader that instead of shepherding and telling them no, not only did he go along with it, he actually had the sculpting tools in his hands and helped craft a calf made out of gold. God sees it because he's God and he sees everything. And he informs Moses about it. They're still on Mount Sinai. Moses didn't see it. God does. And so in Exodus 32, 7, we see God informing Moses about this. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. It's kind of funny. That reminds me of my wife. Like when my kids do something bad, it's, it's my son who did it. Or it's my daughter who did it. And God kind of does the same thing. Uh, go down for your people uh, whom you brought up out of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, these idols, these golden, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now listen to this. 
Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. It is a stubborn and rebellious people. I like this. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, that I may destroy them, in order that I might make a great nation out of you. I, the Lord's like, Moses, go down now, let me be. Because I'm going to, all of a sudden, my, my fury is going to build, and I'm going to wipe them all out, but I'm going to rebuild with you. I'm going to rebuild with you. They're rebellious, they're stiff-necked, they're stubborn. I'm going to wipe them all out. God said it. Now listen to this. Moses starts to pray. Moses starts to talk to God and he implores God saying, please give them another chance and don't destroy them. God just got done saying he was going to destroy them, right? I guess they're out of luck because God never changes. But look at verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. The Lord relented from the harm he said he would do. The Lord relented. Relented. Take a look at this word. Does it look an awful lot like another word? Does it remind you of another word? If you took the L out of there, is there another word, another letter we could insert that we're familiar with here in the church? Repented. Right? One letter away. Repented. This passage that we just read might have just as easily said, and the Lord repented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his, pap- on his people. The Lord repented. Wait a second, that's not right. The Lord doesn't repent because the Lord doesn't sin. How can the Lord repent if the Lord doesn't sin? That's a good point. Well, we'll cover that in a second. What does relent mean? What does relent mean? Relented here in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, and and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but it's nacham, which means this, to change one's mind. Relented means to change one's mind. Let's look at the next definition. The next in line says to console oneself, to repent. We see this word used 128 times in the Old Testament. And if you look at the exact meaning of each time, one third of the times that it's listed, it actually means repented. So God repented. When we read the New Testament, we, we, we see the word for repent. It's the word metaneo, metanaioe, which means to change one mind, to repent. Repentance, which is metanoia, is a change of mind as it appears to one who repents. You notice what is not listed in this definition of repent? Sin. Sin is nowhere in the definition of repent. It's, see, 
too long, preachers, they preached this. They preached that repentance means to turn from one's sin. That is not what it means. Repentance means to change your mind. To change your mind. We make repentance something that, that we meaning preachers far too often. We make it something manipulative. It's not about being manipulated into changing your mind. It's not about being swayed emotionally into changing your mind. There doesn't have to be an emotional response. But if you're an emotional person, be emotional with the response. It means to change your mind. The Old Testament, the word means to change your mind. In the New Testament, change your mind. And yes, God can change his mind. So let's look at another example. Book of Jonah. God tells Jonah, by the way, Jonah has really short chapters. I was reminded of that in study, and I'm like, man, it's like a seven-verse chapter. That's, that's unheard of. Just really short chapters. It's a really short read. Let me just give you a brief synopsis. God tells Jonah, go to the unbelievably corrupt town of Nineveh and tell them in 40 days I'm going to destroy them. And when I talk about unbelievably corrupt, I'm not talking about like Las Vegas corrupt, okay? I'm talking about what was common among their king and their rulers would be to capture an enemy, kill the enemy, turn the enemy into food and feed it to their enemies. Corrupt. I'm talking about sick, you know, TV show, medieval times kind of corruption. They were evil and they were wicked. And God says, go to them, Jonah, and tell them if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. So what does Jonah do? Nineveh's this way. And Jonah goes to Tarshish. He goes the exact opposite. He starts heading for Tarshish. I sound like I need like a speech therapy when I say Tarshish. Tarshish. While he's in rebellion to God, the, the waves pick up. There's a storm. The people on the boat are like, it's because of you. This is because of you. They throw him off the boat. He gets swallowed by a whale. He sits in the belly of a whale. And Jonah comes to repentance. I'm going to change my mind. Lord, um, I, I want to go to Nineveh. The whale pukes him out and he repeats all over again, gets on a boat, heads to Nineveh. He, he obeys the Lord. He gets there and he starts prophesying the Lord's going to destroy this place unless there's repentance. In 40 days, this place is, is going to crumble. When the wicked and the depraved people of Nineveh heard this word of destruction from God, they, they did something that's very key. They believed it. They believed it. They, they fasted. It says that the king called a kingdom-wide fast. No eating, no drinking, no tasting of anything, not even water. Then he, and they all wore sackcloth. And then he kicks it up a notch. The animals, no eating, no drinking, no feeding the animals. They can't graze. They can't drink. They can taste nothing. And then I don't know if this speaks to 
the depravity of the king or if this speaks to just how seriously they believe this. But he, then it says that he dresses the, the animals in sackcloth. It's there, friends. I'm, I'm not making it up. So the animals are fasting. The animals can't drink. The animals are wearing fa- uh, sackcloth. And then it says, the king says, maybe God will change his mind if all would mightily cry out to the Lord. And I honestly, I think the king probably expected the animals to cry out too. He dressed them in paper doll clothes. I mean, he dressed them in clothing. So this brings us to the parts in chapter 3 where the people and the animals perhaps repent. Jonah 3.10 When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God did what? God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God repented. God changed his mind. And God decided to show them mercy. I've got a question for you. Why did Jonah, when he, when he heard this call from the Lord, why did Jonah head toward Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh? Fear. Fear seems, a lot of people believe it's fear because they're wicked. They're like really, really wicked. So I remember growing up, my Sunday school teacher said he was afraid and he went. Let's look at, that's not the reason, by the way. That's, that's what I, what I believed like my whole life. So let's read this. So remember, end of Jonah 3, it says that the God relented on the disaster. He did not do it. The very next verse, after God showing them mercy, Jonah 4, 1 and 2, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Everyone knows what displeased means, right? Jonah was not pleased that God showed mercy. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, and I'm going to insert sarcasm. I'm going to insert tone for the sake of this. Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is why he went to Tarshish. Because he knew the Lord was going to show him grace. He knew the Lord was going to change his mind. I just know I'm going to go there and I'm going to prophesy and you're going to make me look like a fool because you're not going to do it. Friends, I want you to know that the prophetic words that come forth are subject to the one who gives the words. They are subject to God. And if God wants to change his mind, God will change his mind. The spirit of the prophet, or the prophet is subject to the spirit of the prophet. Anytime we make things about us, we're in trouble, guys. Religion is more concerned about being right than about people being shown mercy. What a religious response from Jonah. He didn't celebrate God's mercy. He didn't celebrate God's grace. He was angry. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to change your mind. I knew you were going to show those evil people grace. This is why 
he fled to Tarshish because he knew that if the people repented, God who is loving and merciful and kind and slow to anger and abounding in love, that he would change his mind and not destroy them. And it made Jonah angry. God asks him, do you have good reason to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer. He just goes off, makes himself some shade and sits there and has a pity party. I think a lot of times the Lord might ask us the question, do you have good reason to be angry? Now, I'm, I know I'm, I'm being very pointed right now. I just want to encourage us, guys. It's so easy to take our eyes off of a loving God and to set our sights on ourselves and to become angry at God. Do you have good reason to be angry? So God does this amazing thing. He miraculously and instantly grows a plant big enough to shade Jonah. And he does it instantly in the course of a day. He grows this plant and it shades Jonah. But then check this out. This is awesome. The next morning, early in the morning, the Bible says that God appointed a worm. I'm certain he will use you and I. I am certain he will use us in the midst of our flaws. If he will appoint a worm, and this is awesome, by the way. This could totally be a movie. I'm just saying. He appointed the worm to attack the plant. It's the Bible, I promise you. Read it for yourself. To attack the plant so that it would wilt and wither and fall. And that happened early in the morning. So the day before, the Lord raises up within 24 hours a plant big enough to shade Jonah. Then early in the morning, he assigns a, a worm to destroy it and it wilts down. So Jonah goes back to his one person pity party. And now we're in Jonah 4, 9. But God said to Jonah, did you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you have good reason to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah's got issues. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a day. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? You have a reason to be angry for a plant and you were mad because I didn't destroy a people? 120,000 people? You know what's amazing is the story ends right there. Right there. Book of Jonah, done. Turn the page, Micah. Story's over. We don't know what happens to Jonah. We don't know what changes his mind. We do know that even as he was sitting in the shade, he was looking toward Nineveh, hoping God would change his mind again. If, read it. He was looking toward Nineveh, seeing what the Lord might do, hoping that God would change his mind again and destroy him. Jonah was consumed with self. Mad that God has shown mercy to the wicked people. 
I want to point out something that's really cool here also. Could be easily missed. God cares about the cows. He cares about the cows. How stinking amazing is that? Take a look. God speaking, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also a lot of cows? <laughs> I love it. God's like, I changed my mind. I'm not going to destroy the people or the cows. Tell me that's not awesome. Hawk, I figured you'd like that. So one more example of God changes his mind from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 26, 2 through 3. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the Lord, in the house of the Lord, all the words that I commanded you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil ways that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do them because of their evil deeds. When God's people repent, God repents. When God's people change their minds and they agree with God and the plan that he has for them, God changes his mind. When God's people change their mind, God changes his mind. So let's look at one New Testament example, which includes Jesus. So we're going to be reading from John chapter 2. Verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Anybody want to share with how this story ends? Not box wine. Not box wine, Brad. The best wine ever made. Jesus turns the water into wine. He just got done saying, which I do find it humorous, Woman, my, my time has not yet come. And she's like, do whatever he says. What happens? God changed his mind. I, I, in, this, in this situation, knowing that, that uh, Jesus did nothing except what he heard his father say, right? He did nothing except what his father told him. I imagine at this point, God said, listen to your mother, son. He just got done saying, it's not my time, but he changed his mind. Why? Friends, God honors our faith. He honors our persistence. He honors our dig your feet in the groundedness and stand firm and say, and I'm going to stand and I'm going to stand on your word and I'm going to stand on your promises. And Lord, I believe you are true and I'm not wavering. Come what may. James 5.16 says this, and I'm reading it from the King James because that's how I learned it when I was a kid. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Meaning this, our persistent, faith-filled prayers work. 
They have power. But we've got to be persistent. We've got to stand the game. We've got to stay faithful in our prayer. I'll close with this. The only reason we can be saved is because God changed His mind about us. You see, sin has to be punished. Sin has to be punished. In Romans 6, Jesus tells us the wages of sin is death. And in Romans 3, 23 and 24, we are told, for all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Because of the intercession of Jesus on our behalf, God changed His mind. You see that word justification? It's a legal term. It's a legal term. See, here in America, we're used to what? Innocent until what? Proven guilty. Friends, that's unique to us. There's other countries that have that too, but that is not the way it was back in Jesus' time. You were guilty until proven innocent. You were guilty until you could show that you were innocent. If a claim came against you, if a charge came against you, you were guilty until you could prove it wasn't true. So Jesus changed the mind of the Father through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, through His perfect life. He changed the mind of the Father. He said, they're innocent. My life will demonstrate it. And God changed His mind towards us and our sin. And when we hear the word justified, friends, that's what it means. Just as I am in my state of guilt, in my state of deserving death, just as I am, I was saved. God changed his mind. You see, God's character never changes. God is always good. He is always good. He is always loving. He's always slow to anger. He, our God is good. He is merciful and gracious and patient and He's kind. And it's His character that should lead us to repentance. The Bible says it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It's His kindness that leads us to a change of mind. And repentance is not just for the unbeliever. I want to make this abundantly clear. Repentance is not just something for for someone who doesn't believe and it happens one time and they repent. Repentance is for the believer. Friends, as we walk out our faith, we should constantly be changing. Because when the Holy Spirit brings things to our attention that doesn't glorify God and that doesn't reflect His character, we should change it. Because we're children of God. And we should repent and we say, Lord... I was doing that, but that doesn't glorify you. And it doesn't reflect your character. And I just, I want to reflect your character, God. I want to reflect your name. I bear your name. I want to reflect your character. So I changed my mind and I'm not going to do that anymore. 
Repentance is not just for the unbeliever. And God's grace is God's grace is never a reason for us to continue sinning. As we walk out our faith, we, sh- we really should embrace change. God's character never changes, but he does change his mind when we pray. We shouldn't pray less because God is a sovereign God. We should pray more. We should pray less because of God's immutability. We should pray more. We shouldn't pray less because God's grace is sufficient. We should pray more. So I want to throw out a challenge. I'd love it if every one of us, and then I'd love to even hear reports of people listening to this online from our podcast or on our websites. I'd love to even get other reports back. I'd love us to step up to this challenge. And it's, it's simple. Twice a day at 710. Our address here at this building is 710 Austin Avenue. The time honestly doesn't matter. I know Hawk gets up super early. He's worked half a day by the time most of us are getting out of bed. But what if we set our alarms additionally? We have an, another set for 710. We're already up. But at 710, when that alarm goes off, what if we take five minutes to pray? Five minutes. And then in the evening at 710, when it goes off again, we take another five minutes to pray. I promise you guys this. Ten, those 10 additional minutes every day of prayer will change the world. I promise you that because prayer works. Why, why are we preaching this little mini-series? Because prayer works. Because we shouldn't be prevented from praying. We shouldn't think, you know, well, God's not going to change anyway. Well, God's got everything under control. No bother praying about it. we we got to pray. we got to go to our Father who hears our prayer. Prayer matters. And even 10 minutes a day, two five-minute stints makes a difference. So I just ask, would you, would you join me in this? And twice a day. And, and honestly, I chose 710 because it, it's our building address. I don't care about the time. Twice a day. Add five minutes to your routine in the morning. Five minutes in the evening. And just fervently pray. Pray. We'll see change. We'll see lives changed. We'll see things change. We'll see God's mind changed. Let's pray.